So we have been in a series called Core Values, and uh, come as you are, connect with God, connect with one another, and then this is the fourth week called um, Contending for More of God's Presence. But it, it turns out this fourth value is the defining value of City Church. It is the niche that God wants us to play in the greater body of Christ. The first three values, every single church should have those three values. This is, this is the one that defines us. On December 5th, 2010, was the first service of City Church. And I preached a message called A Place for His Presence, which is today's title. I'm using the exact same scripture that I used then. I want you to listen for three questions today. There's three questions that God is going to ask you today. And as we go through the message, I want you to listen for those three questions. So we're going to read the scripture and pray. A place for his presence. All right. First Chronicles 13, one through four. Here we go. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands, to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great, great love. Thank you for the power of your word to realign us to you, to your purposes, individually, but also corporately. Lord, would you do that for us? We humbly ask together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So first, I want to just give you a little context. David had already been king um, for seven years in Hebron, which is just in Judah. And now Israel, the northern tribes, want to bring all of it together under David. And so all of Israel is now coming together, and they're making David their king. And so this is his inaugural speech. This is, this is the, the speech where he says, this is what I'm going to be about. And instead of there being promises of I'm going to build this or I'm going to build that or promises about um, all the benefits they're going to get, David's only got one thing in his speech. Let's get the ark of God. Let's send for the ark of God and let's bring it back into the city of Jerusalem. Now the ark was the place, the only place, where God's manifest presence dwelt 24-7. The immediate presence of God rested on the ark. And so here we go, a place for his presence. The ark was called the glory of Israel. David, he's called the man after God's own heart, and, and this is why. David, David wanted God, not just what God could do. David wanted God himself. He, he says in, in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. 
that I might behold his beauty, that I might meditate in his temple. David was excited about God. The other stuff Wakami said, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Make him your greatest prize. Find delight in him and, and everything else will get it taken care of. God, God will take care of you. you. You make this your aim. This is why he's called the man after God's own heart. He chased after God. So point one is a place that values his presence. It turns out we must choose to value his presence. He will not force it. So in the days of Saul, we did not seek for the ark. Saul was the king for 40 years. Now, we have many instances of Saul wanting wisdom from God and asking God for wisdom. We have Saul acknowledging his need for God. We have Saul doing many different religious things. Here's what we don't have. A single command that told Saul to send for the ark and to bring it back. He was never told to do it. Why? God's presence is so valuable to him You have to choose it. You have to agree with him that the greatest value is his presence, and you need to choose it. Look at this. Look at this in in, in Exodus 33. This is verse 3 and 15 through 18. God is speaking. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. So God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you everything that I promise. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I myself am not going to go. I mean, this is right from God. And Moses said, no, no, you don't go. I don't go. I value your presence. Your presence is what distinguishes. Your presence is what we need. You don't go, I don't go. And it says that God is pleased with Moses. And then Moses says, show me your glory. I choose you, God. Show me your glory. In in the New Testament, in in Revelation, we, we find this church now, Revelation is written in 95 AD, so this is the second, the second generation of the church. The, this is, this is, there's already been the apostles' generation, now there's another generation, and John just happens to outlive them all, and, and he's writing this. But there's this church in Laodicea, and it's called the church, to the church in Laodicea. So these are Christians. These are people that, that love Jesus, that have, have, are born again, that are serving him, and Jesus comes And he's knocking at the door. He's pictured outside the church. And he's knocking. He will not force himself. But here's what he says to them. This is my paraphrase. You guys have learned how to do church without me. You have your your services and your liturgies and your your, your things you do. And don't tell me there's not a charismatic liturgy, because there is, where we do the same thing everywhere. Anyway, um, you've got your disciplines and you've got your stuff and you've got your doctrines, but you don't, here's what you don't have, my presence. 
And he's not forcing them. He's knocking. He's inviting them. He says, listen, you guys don't even see it. You're, you're naked. You're poor. You're, you're, you're blind. You're impoverished. And you don't, you don't even know it. You've learned how to do this thing without me. Open the door. Open the door. I'm, I'm inviting you. I'm knocking. I'm inviting. Choose. Choose my presence. So here's what happened to me in 2005. I'm in a church in Minnesota, southwest Minnesota, pastoring there, and I have a prophetic experience, very powerful, and God says to me, I'm going to take Lake City Church and Mad City Church, and both of them had pastors at that time, both churches in Madison, Lake City and Mad City, and I'm going to put them together, and it's going to be called City Church, and you're going to be the pastor. And Alice is like, Alice was mad. She's like, why do you want other people's church? I said, honey, I don't want anybody else's church. This, this is just what happened. This is how it happened. This is, this is, and this is what God said about it. He said two things. He said, it's going to be called city church because in the end times, I'm going to use the citywide church. It's not going to be about that church. It's going to be about the way that you think about church. It's going to be, I'm going to bring such a unity to my church. It won't be about your church and your church and your church. It will be about my church. It will be, there will be a unity, even though we're in different buildings, there will be a unity and, and, and the church is going to come together and city, so the name City Church is a sign that God's going to use the citywide church. It's not about us alone. It's about his church. And then the second thing he said is, and when this happens, it's going to be a sign to you that there's going to be an end times revival. I'm like, Oh my, if this happens, I, 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 the culture of Mad City and Lake City is so different, to, totally different. I'm like, and why would I go there? And why, why, why? And I'm like, I'll tell you what, if this happens, I will believe for an end time survival. Now, let me tell you something. For the last 25 years, Christianity has shrunk in this nation. There are less people going to church the influence the Christians have in this society is way less than it was 25 years ago. Let me tell you something. It's going to change. Amen. God's got a plan, and, it's, it, and, and the plan isn't a political plan. The plan is he's going to pour out his presence. There, there's going to be things happening in churches where miracles are happening, where depression is leaving in a moment, where mental health is being restored, there's going to be an outpouring of the presence of God, and people will come back to churches. They're actually not going to be flocking to churches. They're going to be flocking to the presence of God that is in churches. This, this thing's not over, folks. This thing is not over. God has got a plan. Now, you might be discouraged and like, yeah, I don't think so, I don't think so. Yeah, okay, you have that luxury. I don't. Because I saw, I saw Lake City and Mad City come together and the miracle, and I'm on, I'm on the line. I will believe for an end time survival. Okay, so here's what happens to me in 2008. So I come to Pastor Mad City in 2007. Lake City lost its pastor. John Ruck was the interim pastor at the time. John and I were good friends and whatever. I can't make anything happen. I don't want to make anything happen. This is God. God will do it in his own way. We get to the end of 2008, and I have a very powerful dream. And in this dream, Alice and I are out to eat. We're in this restaurant, and for whatever reason in my mind, I know everybody in this restaurant are Vietnam vets or spouses of a Vietnam vet, except for us. 
And I don't know why I know it, but I know it. And I'm, we're, we're in the middle of dinner, and God speaks to me and says, I want you to stand up right now. I want you to quote this verse, and I want you to pray for these people. And I said, no. No, this is not a church. This would be inappropriate. I'm not doing it. And so I go back to eating, and, but this overwhelming sense that this is what God wants me to do is so strong. And here's what I decided. I'm like, this is so weird. And I'm like, I'm not even sure this is God. Because why would God do this in a, in a public place like this? It's, it's inappropriate. And I said, but God knows that I think it's him. And I would just rather look stupid in front of people and know that God knew I was trying to please him and even if it wasn't him and whatever. So I'm just, I, just, I just get my courage, I summon my courage and I'm like, let's do this. So I stand up and I pretend like, like this is supposed to happen. I'm like, hey, could I get everybody's attention? I am, I'm gonna give you a verse and then I'm gonna pray for all of you. And I don't ask anything, I just start giving this verse. And I say, if you wouldn't mind just bowing your head, put your hand on your heart, I'm gonna pray. And I'm just, uh, I'm not looking for a response, I'm not looking for, I'm gonna pray as fast as I can and sit down. <laughs> and, and so I can say to God, I obeyed you. I'm crazy, but I did obey you. I get done with this prayer and I look up and there's such a reverence in the room, but I'm especially drawn to these two ladies that are sitting on the side. They are so sweet, and they are so devout. They still got their eyes closed. And I go over to these two ladies, and I, and I, and I say, I go next to them, and I say, I say, friends, what, what's wrong inside of you? No man can heal. Only Jesus can heal what's broken inside of you. And I reach my hand out to touch this woman, and both women just, fall, they, they fall to the floor. And the presence of God just rests on this room. And I know there's just healing happening everywhere. And in the middle of the dream, I wake up. And the presence of God is there. The presence of God is all over me. And I'm like this. Cool. <laughs> that, was, that was cool. And, and so, but, and it's early in the morning. And, but I might as well, have, we're on vacation. I might as well have my quiet. So I get up, I get my coffee. <laughs> I get down, I sit down with my coffee, I get all ready to have my quiet time. And you, frankly, guys, God usually speaks to me in dreams, not in my really clearly during the day. For whatever, I think it's because I'm type A, I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> but I have the, the clearest question comes into my mind. Here's the question. What do you want? And all of a sudden, I know the two options. Here are the two options. Do you want to be the pastor of a big church and be seen by your peers as important and influential? Or do you want to be so sold out to me that you can hear my voice, that you would love me so much that you would be willing to do anything, crazy stuff, because I told you to? He was saying, do you want to be respectable or do you want to be anointed? He was saying to me, do you want to be a success in the eyes of people or in my, my eyes? And, and the two choices were so clear. And I'm like, oh my. Has this whole crazy thing about City Church been all about this test? Is it like a test for me? I'm like, God, I choose you. I choose you. 
I don't need to be, I don't need, there doesn't need to be a city church. I don't need to be the pastor of any. I choose you, Jesus. And I had two really good friends that knew about the prophecy and were praying into it and were believing for it. And I called them that day. And I, and I said to both of them separately, I said, um, not going to happen. City, the whole idea of city, it was a test from God. God was testing my heart, and I, I feel his pleasure. I feel like I, I, I passed the test. And one of the, one of the friends is like, really? Wow, that's surprising. The other friend is like, he's like, Tom, that's cool, but city church will still happen. Yeah, no, no, you can believe whatever you want. You know, you can believe that if you want. City church will happen. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes God asks for Isaac he asks you to sacrifice something, and it's really not about that thing. It's about your heart. He wants Abraham to know that his heart belongs to God, not to God's promises and what God's going to do through him or anything else that we need to be full. And so, so God, God used that, even though City Church now exists, he used it to assure me that I am not City Church and my identity is not City Church. It's in him. It is, it is in him. But that brings us to our first question. What do you want? What do you want? Be careful. Because what you want at the deepest level is probably what you're going to end up getting. It's really important to want the right thing. The greatest prize is Jesus. It's him. Even if you can't see it today, even if you don't, you know, you think it's all about you getting that position or that importance or that thing, Jesus is the greatest prize. And, 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 but God assured me as I was preparing this, even if they don't want the right thing right now, if they'll be honest of what they do want, they can also pray and say, I want to want the right thing. <laughs> so what do you want? So uh, August of 2010, City Church hasn't started, didn't start until December of 2010. Brian White, a, a, a prophet who's a good friend, he's actually an overseeing elder of this church, he comes to town and we are gathering all the pastors, all the elders and their spouses, and we're meeting at Lake City Church down in the fellowship hall. We're having a meal together and Brian is going to speak because there's a vote coming. At the end of August, we're going to vote. Everybody's going to vote of whether we should do City Church or not. And Brian says this. He says, there are three kinds of churches that are growing in America right now. And he said, and I'm not saying this to criticize anybody. This isn't about criticism. This is just a fact. There are three kinds of churches that are growing. One kind, it's called the seeker-sensitive church, where you find out it's about... It's about the consumer. It's what do people want, and let's package it so that people want to come back to church, and let's make it shorter, and let's make it more entertaining, and let's make it topical, and let's minister to felt needs, and we get them in the building, and then we will, we, it, it's just a soft way to get them to Jesus. He said, this, this works in America. America is consumers. This model is working. People are coming to church because of that. Model number two. You take a man's gift or a woman's gift, their anointing, their genuine gifting from God, and you market it and you build around the, the, the man, the man of God or the woman of God, the ministry of God, and people, this, this, is growing, this works in America the same reason that American Idol was like the number one show for a long time because we love to have a hero. We love to have somebody that, that, is, that is the person, the point person, and, and we get to come and watch the person. And, 
And he said, that, that, that's working too in America. He said, there's a third kind of church. He said, this is very rare. It is a church. It's not a church that, that wants to make anybody feel unwelcome. It certainly wants to welcome people, but it's not about welcoming people. It's a church that recognizes anointings and giftings and, and releases people to do that, but it's not about the anointed man of God or woman of God or gifted person. There's a third kind of church that exists to welcome God, to welcome the presence of God that, that only is burning for this one question. Does God feel welcome in our church? And he said, guys, he said, this is the only kind of church that would be worth making City Church. If you want to do the first two, please don't do this. Please don't be that kind of a church. This is, God wants to pour out his spirit. Make a church that is all about welcoming him. And so at the end of the month, we had, we had 30 elders and staff of the two churches combined, and we, went, we were in a circle, and we went around, and everybody had to say out loud, yes, no, or maybe. And we had Yes, 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 30 yeses all the way around. So God says it to individuals, what do you want? But he also says it to churches. What do you want? What do you want? God's looking for a place to pour out his presence, City Church. Point two, a place where he can come as he is. You know, one of the greatest values, I love our first value, come as you are. It's on the sign, it's in the foyer. I just love this about Jesus. You get to come as you are. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do, jump through hoops. Jesus, just come, come as you are. Come with your burden, come with your sin, come, come. I'll take it from there, but you come. You don't have to hide, you don't have to, just come. I love that. But he's looking for a church that will say to him, come as you are. So look at 1 Chronicles 15 now. This is verses 1, 2, and 13. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring up the Bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So here's the, here's the story. So the first time, David gets everybody together. He says, let's bring the ark back. We didn't seek it in the days of Saul. And so everybody comes together. Everybody, the people say, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is amazing. And the man after God's heart is excited. We're bringing the ark back in and he's worshiping and there's joy and there's celebration. And, and then, and, and the, the, but the way they brought it, they brought, it had gone into Philistine territory for a while and the Philistines set it back, sent it back to them on this ox cart. The ark was on this ox cart. And so it had been in the house of Abinadab for many years and he's got two sons, Abinadab, Uzzah, and Ahio. And so they've been around the ark for years. They've, the ark, I don't know if the ark was in their living room or basement, but, but they are comfortable around the ark. The ark, you know, they've been around the ark. They're the ark carriers. And now, so they're part of the group that's bringing the ark now from the house of Abinadab up to Jerusalem. And it's on this ox cart. And all of a sudden, one of the oxen stumbles, the cart hits a stone, and the ark starts falling off of the ox cart. 
So Uzzah reaches his hand out to steady the ark so it doesn't fall. And when he does, God strikes him dead. And the party is over. The march is over. The celebration is over. David, it says, is both angry and afraid. And he's like, we, we can't do this. And he is offended by God. And so he sends the ark to this house nearby called, uh, 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 that's, that's Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is the, is, is, is the guy's name where the house, where the ark goes. And the ark is there for three months. And for the first time in his entire life, the man after God's own heart finds himself on the outside of the full blessing of God. Because it says this about Obed-Edom's house, that his house was blessed during those three months. What on earth does that mean? Here's what it means. It means something was going on. I don't know if it was joy or provision or what was going on or healing the kid. I don't know what it was, but it was enough that people said, that's better than nobody even eat them. That's better than anything man's done. God's blessing is resting. The immediate presence of God has brought a blessing to that home. And David is watching this. And David, who is angry with God, who's afraid of God, he's like, God, we did this all for you. This was all for you. It was in my heart to bring the ark back. I just want, we wanted to worship you. We wanted to love you. We, and then you killed the Uzzah. How dare you? You're so touchy. You're, uh, uh, and then he sees this blessing of God with him on the outside. And he starts to rethink things. He's like, what if, what if God wasn't the problem? What if I was the problem? And he goes back. I wonder if the Bible talks about the ark. Oh my, there are chapters about the ark and about how careful you need to be around the ark. And there is a certain way that the ark has to be carried. It has to be carried with poles. No one ever touches the ark or they will die. The Levites alone are the ones that carry the ark, not just somebody's sons or somebody that wants to. It's only the Levites. There is all this definition around how to carry the ark. And all of a sudden, David has this revelation that maybe... What happened wasn't God's fault. Maybe it was my fault. And then he decides that I am going to lay down my offense with God and I'm going to make a change. I'm going to align with him. Instead of trying to get God to align with me, instead of having this synchronism where I'm going to do it the world's way and try to get as much God as I want and try to have this religion that synchronizes the world and the world's ways and God and God's ways and, and try to get as much of both as I can, David, David says, that's not going to work. So to have the full blessing of God, I am willing to humble myself and change my life, change my life. When the Bible says this, and I've been flaunting it, why, why can't I do this, and why can't I do that, and why does God expect me to do this, and God, God's unfair, God's mean, God's, I'll do it however I want to, God still loves me, and I'll still go to heaven, and da-da-da, um, you know, go ahead. Go ahead, but don't expect the full blessing of God. And who knows what your life could have been if you had had the full blessing, the immediate presence of God. Who knows what you were made for? 
So, so you and I have to say, God, you're not going to change. So God, change me. I, I want to do it your way. I don't, I don't want to do it my own way and try to get you to bless it. I don't want to do it the world's way. I want to do it your way. I want the immediate presence. I want the full blessing of God. So, so he does this. So he makes this speech. So we're going to do it again. We're going to do it a second time. But this time we're going to do it God's way. Now listen to this. This is 1 Chronicles 15, 26. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. <laughs> so the first time, the ox stumbles, the cart falls, and God is not helping because they're not doing it God's way. But the second time, they're trying to do it God's way. How many know that broken people will never do anything perfectly? <laughs> but they're trying. They're trying to honor God. They're trying to do it God's way. And God says, we're going to help them this time. He, he, I, how, what does that mean? He probably assigned eight angels around it. Make sure that that ark doesn't fall, guys. <laughs> we got these people carrying it. I don't trust them. But get, get around them and help them carry the ark. And then it says this. They sacrificed seven rams and seven bulls. So that's all you get in 1 Chronicles 15, 26. But if you go to 2 Samuel 6, the, the story is told again, but you get more detail. It says they went six steps and sacrificed one bull and one ram. They went six steps and they stopped. They haven't only remembered God's word, but they remembered you only approach him through sacrifice. And so they stopped and they remembered that he's holy and that you come through sacrifice. So that if they're going to do seven, they must have done that again and again. They go another six steps. We're going to sacrifice again. So they're going slower. But they're keeping the word of God central. And they're keeping the sacrifice of Jesus. All those bulls and rams all were foreshadowing Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. So they, they walked slower. But they remembered the word of God. And they remembered to honor Jesus, to keep Jesus in the middle. So we started in 2010, and God gave us many promises through the, th through the early years of what he was going to do. He sent a prophet here, a crazy experience, and said, tell City Church to ask me for a double anointing. And so we, we're contending, we're pressing in for, for more, for this outpouring that God wants. And then there was another prophetic word about the double anointing, that it will only be released as we're giving it to the next generation. That it's, it's not about that generation or the older generation. It's about as the older releases the younger and the younger honors the older, in that context, I will come with the double anointing. It's not going to be one or the other. It's going to be when you come together. It's, it's good. He's not just uniting the church. He's uniting the generations. There's good, that's the outpouring that's going to happen. We had a word about a bonfire that God said, you make a bonfire here of my presence and I will breathe on it and there will be brush fires everywhere. There are people will get saved. It won't even be take an evangelism program. It will just happen. You, you build it and I will breathe on it and there it will, it will happen. Really powerful prophetic words. And then in 2019, our mortgage was paid off. One of my mentors, a mentor of this church, Roger Olson, 
at, at our celebration, he gave the vision that he had for the, this is a quarter pie, but the land is built and everything's structured for it to become a half pie. And, and at that time, we're in three services. Everything's going the right direction. And Roger gives the vision and, and we're all clapping because clearly we're just, it's just going to get bigger. It's just going to be amazing. And then COVID comes and everything stops. The church nationwide, is sh- worldwide, is shaken this church is shaken. Lots of fear and anger. Like what's, how did this happen and what, what is the future of the church? And 2021 in the evenings, Sunday evenings, I did a, his, a series on the history of revival. And in response to this calling of, of kind of starting again, we, we started meetings called River Rising once a month to to make a place where, where we're, we're trying to know what church would look like. If you're just honoring his presence and you're, you're, you're trying to flow with it, we honor the word on Sunday mornings, but we want to honor the presence of God and how God might move. And so we did those. We've done those for two years, all 2022, all 2023, and we're doing them again in 2024. Next week, we have a, a Sunday Night River Rising meetings. They've been amazing meetings. But, and, and we instituted something else as well. I started something. We had a prophet come in November of, of 2021, and, he, and, and I invited region-wide leaders to hear about re- what it takes to bring revival to a region, that every revival in history is preceded by somebody praying together the bigger prayers, praying not for grandma or the dog, which are legitimate prayers, but the, the, the prayers are bigger. They're, they're for outpouring. They're for salvation. They're for miracles. They're for, and historically, it's always been a group that's come together. It doesn't need to be a big group. But, and so we started something on once a month on Thursday afternoons. An hour and a half, leaders from the region pray the bigger prayers. And this has been going on as well for two years. And we're, we're doing that again in 2024. But something happened in 2023. I had shared way back in 2017 as things are going, we had many prophecies about enlarge the stake of your tents. This isn't big enough. There's going to be many, many people that are going to be brought in. And, and so we shared about expansion. We shared about what it would take to expand, the, to double this church and um, have an overflow sanctuary and have a huge foyer and bathroom. We actually showed pictures of it in, in the family meeting in 2020 20, and everybody cheered when we showed them the bathrooms. Um, <laughs> and, but part of that, part of that vision, it was actually stage three of that, that vision was going to be a 24-5 prayer room for the region. It would be like in the basement. It would be separated from the rest of the building and, and anybody from the region could come and pray in this prayer space. And that this is just part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. And we need to make a place for the region, for region-wide prayer that goes 24-5. And the reason why not 24-7 is the weekends, we don't want to compete. We don't want, any, we don't want to feel like we're trying to compete with somebody else's church. Just Monday through Friday, a place of prayer, 24-5. So something happened in 2023. The Jehovah Witness building down the street here became available. And our elders went over there, and we had a prayer meeting over there. We set up a time, and, and we went through this building, and some things changed in our hearts. Maybe 
Two things. Maybe God wants to do the prayer room first. Maybe God's priority isn't our expansion. Maybe it's the prayer room. And then the second truth that came was it'd be a lot easier for people to come to a a, a prayer room that was separate from our building. The idea that somebody from another church is going to come to our church to pray, it just would be easier to come to a different building that's separate from our church that would be neutral. So that building fell through, and at the very same time that that building fell through, our daycare was in crisis mode. Uh, Pastor Chris was, was stepping in as the director and for a year had tried to get a new director of our daycare and just could not get a director. And it was almost impossible to get any staff, any new staff. We had faithful staff that were working there, but it wasn't just here. It was all over the nation. It was almost impossible to do daycare. And so we felt we were going to have to close the daycare. And we actually planned a, a family meeting in July of 2023 to talk about that, honor the daycare, honor those people, and it was just going to be a death because we've had daycare there since whenever. And then something happened in April and May that shifted it. The school, a plan just came out that the school could do three-year-olds and four-year-olds in in their program, and they could do it after school, and there could be a merger between ALCS and CFK, where ALCS would be over CFK, and CFK, as it currently is, would, would eventually just be part of the school. And so we decided not to do that family meeting. Well, what that opened up for us was this, is that ALCS could do their part of CFK by get, just giving them the third floor. Right now, the CFK, the bottom floor is the youth center, and that and and we were going to give the top floor to ALCS to do their extended things that they needed to do with the three and fours. And, but it opened up the main level. And we're like, oh my, maybe this is where the prayer room is supposed to go. We've already got the building. It's just a matter of reconstructing this space to be a prayer room. And so in September of this year, we hired a a general contractor and an architect. And in our family meeting, um, I, will, I will tell you about that and all the plans going forward for a, a, a prayer room. But here's how I want to end this, this, this part of it. We are called as a church to be a corporate David. We are to be a catalyst for revival and awakening. We are not the whole thing, but we are to, this is our mission, is to say, let's do this. Let's do this with the greater body of Christ. We're to inspire others to come into the presence of God, to be open to the presence of God, to experience the presence of God. And we're, we're supposed to be this, this corporate David. It's part of who we are. But I had something happen last Saturday. We had a men's breakfast, and Caleb Miller, Greg's son-in-law, was speaking at it, and it was powerful, but he said this. He said there's two times that Peter disagreed with Jesus. One was when Jesus said, was talking about the cross, and Jesus said, Peter says, that will never happen to you, and he says, get behind me, Satan, you have in mind the interests of man. But there's a second time. Jesus says in Matthew 26, when the shepherd is struck, all the sheep are going to scatter. And he says to his disciples, all of you are going to forsake me. 
And Peter disagrees. He says, no, 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 they might, but not me. I will die for you. And then verse 35 of Matthew 26 says this. They were all saying the same thing. So they're all disagreeing with God. How do you disagree with God? You're all going to forsake me. Well, we find out a few verses later. Jesus said, here's what's going on in you guys. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You really genuinely want to. Your your strategy right now is your own enthusiasm, your own desire that you can do this and and you're willing to say that God is wrong because I'm gonna make it because I'm so excited and I love you so much And, and he says, you guys don't realize how weak your flesh is. Your flesh does not want to do the will of God. It is opposing you. And all of a sudden, a dream I had in 2013 became clear to me. I've told this dream many times. It never prevents me from telling a dream, even if I'm not sure what it means. Um, I didn't know what it meant until, until then. Here's the dream. I'm not going to give you the whole dream. I'm just going to tell you the punchline. I'm praying over these two women at the altar, and I hear myself say these words. The strategy of the enemy has been to wear you out over a long period of time. And the strategy of the Lord is to refresh you over a long period of time. And he's going to do it in two ways. He's going to teach you how to drink, and then he's going to, be, he's going to cause you to become addicted to his presence. And all of a sudden, I see it. This is all about perseverance. So the third question, if you're waiting for that, is what is your strategy to persevere? Because the enemy... If your strategy is your own enthusiasm, your own excitement, your own willingness, your own resolve, the enemy is just going to wait for you to get tired. He's got a strategy. He just, I'll I'll wear you out. And then you'll backslide. This is just how it will work. Your, Your flesh is more in control than you think. So the idea that you're going to do this, that you're strong enough, that your, your love for Jesus, your, your altar call in the moment resolve is strong enough is a lie. It's not gonna keep you. And so we have all kinds of promises to God, all kinds of resolutions, and, all kind, and then all kinds of people backsliding. Because the flesh is stronger than you think it is. But God's got a strategy as well. And here's his strategy. I am going to refresh you over a long period of time. First, I'm going to teach you how to drink of my Holy Spirit. This is from John 7, 37. I'm I'm going to actually do a four-week series coming up sometime this year called How to Drink. I'm going to teach them how to drink. But it's it's not the drink. It's not the good meeting. It's not that you met with God. It is that, but it's not about that. It's about the addiction. Has anybody noticed that we are addictive people? That we were, we, there's this in us that we become addicted to stuff. And every single addiction makes your life very small. Whatever you get addicted to makes your life smaller. But there's one addiction, instead of making your life smaller, it makes it bigger. And it's the addiction you were created for. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So here, here it is. Here it is. This is Philippians 2.13. It says this. It is God at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have underestimated the power of our flesh, and we've underestimated the 
power of the Holy Spirit in us. This is God's plan, is the Holy Spirit, is you in union with the Holy Spirit, you drinking and getting addicted. He is able to cause you to want to. He doesn't just give you the power to do it, he gives you the want to. He, he makes you, that as long as Christianity is a have to, you're gonna wear out. You will eventually not be a Christian. The enemy will just wait you out. <laughs> That's his strategy. And I'm not saying there's not lots of times when you do it because you're embracing the cross and you have to do it, you don't wanna do it, but you gotta do the right thing. There's many of those times that come. But if that's your whole life, you're, not gonna, you're gonna backslide. But God has given the Holy Spirit who's way more powerful than we think. He can take somebody that's been addicted to drugs, somebody that's been crazy. Oh, he could take a teenager that's barely making it and if he can get them to drink and then cause them to become addicted, they're gonna make it. They're gonna, they're, they're gonna make it. They're gonna be part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. God is looking for people that will agree with him about how weak our flesh is. You will all forsake me. So, so what's the right prayer to, to answer that? Yes, Lord, apart from your grace, we would all forsake you. My resolve won't do it. My great willpower won't do it. Yes, Lord, we will forsake you apart from your grace. But then you need to add a second one. But your spirit in me is so powerful that it's not just enough power to do the right thing. He's given me power to want the right thing. He can put a willing spirit in me. He, he can, and God's gonna raise up a happy Christianity. <laughs> it's not uh, sucking on lemons Christianity. This is, we want to, we're in. We're in with all our hearts. We love the, we've made our lives around hosting his presence. So God wants us to embrace his strategy to persevere.